Welcome to Sisters in Stoke. I'm your host, Megan Burks, a certified professional coach specializing in ADHD and embodiment practices, steel mace flow enthusiast, and recovering perfectionist whose life has been guided, for better or for worse, by the motto, let's fuck around and find out. On this podcast, I interview women and those who identify as women who have done just that and whose honesty, bravery, vulnerability, and curiosity have helped them find their stoke, the thing that lights them up and has shaped their relationship with their body, their spirit, and the world around them. I share the stories that inspire me so that you too can find your stoke. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the Sisters in Stoke podcast. I am your host, Megan Burks, and I am thrilled and a little bit emotional to have with me today Jules Blaine Davis, also known as the Kitchen Healer. She is a devoted mother, artist, poet, and pioneer in the field of healing as a living. She is a way shower to nourishing our deepest lives. Over the last 15 years in private practice, Leading retreats and gathering circles of women around the fire and kitchen island, Jules has discovered a lineage of longing we carry in our bodies. She is an activist for this longing and the hunger that comes with it. She has found that these callings in us are the essential ingredients to meeting our deeper selves. Jules is a holder for our stories, our bodies, our day-to-day rhythms as she shines the headlamp or freedom torch on the wisdom in our becoming. She invites us to awaken inside this life, transforming it into a life we love in and out of the kitchen. Jules lives with her family in Los Angeles, California. I am so excited to be in conversation with you today, Jules Blaine Davis. Welcome to the Sisters in Stoke podcast. And tell me, what are you stoked about? I just loved that bio so much. Thank you. (laughs) It was really wonderful and loved being reminded of it. I'm so grateful to be here. So thank you for having me and inviting me forward. Um, I would say I'm stoked about um, the fire I'm going to light to begin our session here. It's going to happen right here. Um, I begin everything with light and fire. So I'm going to ask you, what are you bringing to the fire? What's a word or two that you bring to our time together? Oh, yearning, yearning, love it. And Mm. I'm bringing openness to what needs to come through, what wants to be heard and, and, and seen and felt through us being together. You know, it's so, it's, it's a profound thing to find somebody and to feel something and want to connect and then to do it. And then all the steps that it takes, and it's not about us. It's no. about all the women behind us, all the women who pioneered and and lit fire and gathered in circle and and had longing and left here with longing that we inherited. And so, I just want to offer that as we begin, and that's what's coming through, um, because it is true. You know, this is any conversation I have. Everything is. I'm just a vessel for what I'm I'm longing for and also um what I inherited 
you know, through the lineages of women and men, you know, who, um, who only did what they did and then, you know, left the rest. And, you know, we're here for such a precious short amount of powerful time. And so, um, you know, I don't take it for granted one bit. So I just want to light the fire for us and, and really call that in and call them in. Oh, thank you so much. And I can feel that lineage with us, you know, and I can feel it in your work and I feel it in my work. Um, and I actually just want to begin by sharing quite a vulnerable story about how I found your work. And I think I told you briefly. So it was uh, late last year, which seems like yesterday, but it was actually quite some time ago now because this year has sped by so quickly so far. And I was in a period of huge expansion in my business and my relationships, my relationship to self, to my children, to my partner, to friends, to family, to everyone. Um, I was peeling back more layers in my own journey, you know, and I've been in this game long enough to know that every time I think, ah, yes, there's the core of it. It's never is, you know, there's always more to come, but I was responding to this expansion by contracting. And I was really coming from a place of fear. And there was one night and it was really late, was far past my bedtime. And I was a little bit tipsy. I, you know, drunk quite a lot of wine and I'm scrolling through my Instagram and this beautiful, radiant, pink haired goddess appears. And she's talking about, she's in the kitchen and, you know, she's the kitchen healer and she's talking about food and, you know, the, the joy of cooking and how it's so important. We love ourselves and we nourish ourselves. And my immediate reaction was, oh, this woman can get fucked. And so, oh my God, God praise that prayer because it finally happened. But that's for a story for another time. Keep going. <laughs> so, I ordered your book because, again, I've been in this game long enough to know that when something triggers me like that, it is because they are, to use a phrase from your biography, which is such a beautiful phrase, a way shower for something in my life that I am being called to step into and that I'm probably quite scared. So, I ordered this book and kind of forget about it to be honest because of the wine and you know it it arrives in the post and I look at it and I think I'm thinking this whole time that the kitchen healer is going to be like these green juice detoxes for inflammation and you know and and all this stuff and that's obviously not what you are and I I flip the book open and the first thing I see is a photo of poached eggs and toast with butter and my whole body just lights up and I start to you know flip through this book madly and there's photos and there's words and there's spells being cast and there's recipes and there's so much butter like I feel buttery while I'm reading this book <laughs> and then I see this line about what are you hungry for and I just lost it mm. because that is a question that I had avoided asking myself. It had popped up on that periphery many a time in my work with other women and coaches or therapists and in conversation with my friends because my friends and I have deep conversations. But I was really just at 
the precipice of having the courage and the capacity to get really honest with myself Mm. about what I was hungry for. Mm. And these are obviously the women and men maybe, but mostly women who find you. And so I would love to rewind now and hear a little bit about how how you became the kitchen healer and how you traversed that space at that moment in our lives when we as women have often spent so much time feeding others physically, energetically, emotionally, and we reach this point where we think, no, 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 I actually need to talk to myself now and sink into this nourishment that I desire. so beautiful. Yeah, I would say that, you know, the first thing that kind of comes through in the realms of like traversing or, you know, how to get to me first inside the shaping, the cultural shaping of others first, um, or outside first or reactive living, um, I mean, I share a lot about this in the book, you know, the beginning of the book is the origin story, which I never thought to put in there until I spoke with another incredible human (laughs) who really helped me be like, they don't, nobody knows who you are. And, you know, you need a story, like how did this all begin? It was like, oh yeah, good, good idea. Um, And so (laughs) I got to explore that. It was really emotional writing it. Um, And I, I started the farmer's market. It really was the beauty of food And because I live in Los Angeles, you know, we, it's a really beautiful place to grow produce mostly all year long. And you have a lot of people who come here and want to try new things and are creating new seed and, you know, farmland kind of all around outside the city. And so, you know, that was never my, my main thing was like farms and produce, but walking through the market. And seeing the beauty, you know, I think that it was connected to this longing for myself. And this is in early, early motherhood. So Mm -hmm. let's just orient ourselves here. This is not just me at 19, you know, oh my God, look at that fuchsia fig and we should take it to a carnival. No, that's (laughs) not. And it was in early, you know, becoming a home, a safe house for you know, life to grow was a profound act. It was, it was profound. It was, it was poetry. It was dance. It was all the things. And I come from a very creative background. And what I mean by that is I love all the arts, you know, all I I was a poet, very young. Um, If you have hands, you're a painter. If you have a body, you're a dancer. I, I, I am a believer that the below the neck conversation inside expression is where so much wisdom lives. And in early motherhood, as a lot of us know, that's not the first thing that we're doing (laughs) when we're figuring breastfeeding and, you know, wait, I would say to my husband at the time, you know, where are you going? (laughs) What, what, 
It's like <laughs> the job I've had since I met you, you know, it's like, oh, wait, what? And, and just all the things like, these are just points on the map of wait, hold on. This just transformational thing happened. And where's the support and where's the holding and it's, it wasn't so much, how do I do this? I feel like I've been a nurturer in me to, to do that, to be that. I, I get a lot out of it. I love it. I, I feel nurtured myself when I do it. And I mean, I, I don't think I do it. I think I just am that. Um, and walking the market, I think brought me back to just this creative vessel that I've always been. And, you know, the creative vessel that makes the life without a held culture um, goes hungry. And so when I was at the market, it was like I was trying to find I didn't know this, but I was I think I was like, oh, my God, I could do this, feed my family and sate myself like there was something in the figs and the purple cauliflower and things mm -hmm. I had never seen before that I was just like, oh my God, new paint <laughs> at the art store, you know, like just, oh, I, you know, Payne's gray and, you know, <laughs> the magenta and just like how excited I was to, to do that. And it wasn't just because, oh, I'm a cook, like, and so it, it was very interesting, the journey of it, because it wasn't like a three line pitch ever. And it never has been. And it never will be because I was like, I was like connecting to my longing and hunger and the beauty. And then, and then the fact that like cooking isn't an event and like a hundred people are coming over and like, I'm hungry too. And not just feeding my kid and going, Oh, it's a win. They ate. And I'm like falling apart and on fumes, like all of those things you know, and then again, my shaping and my, my mother's story and how I was nourished or not, um, which was such a mixed bag. I mean, a gorgeous, exquisite, highly dysfunctional offering, mm. like it had everything in it, like affection, beauty, privilege, you know, freedom and, 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 and a lot of physical abuse. And I mean, it was like, it was a mix. <laughs> and so I am a mix, like I am healing a mix. And then, <sighs> so it, it kind of, that's, that's what kind of comes through. You know, I rarely, I don't think I've ever kind of spoken about it like that, like an amalgamation of things. So my hunger is a mix. And then I started speaking about it. And then I found me too medicine everywhere. Everyone was a mix. And we didn't fit in a linear one-way street. And so it was like, oh, okay, well, let's steam an artichoke, read some Mark Nepo, and let's cry into the soup. You know, I mean, no, no one's coming if you say that. You know, they're like, okay. Um, so they had to experience it. So it was a very underground movement. It would definitely word of mouth. And, um, and I only had so much bandwidth. Like, I wasn't yeah. like, oh, let me get a marketing team and an agent and a thing right now while I'm doing, like, I was dismantling and unraveling legacies of stories of women, along with a value system in the culture that is money-based, which I love money, yay, for conscious money. It means, yes, it means I'm coming to Australia tomorrow. It means, you know, all the things, right? It's not 
and then the darkness around things and shadow. And so I'm forever in that conversation. I am forever in the mixed bag of trauma and beauty, grateful and grieving, you know, like, um, so yeah, I, I hope somewhere in there, I answered the question. <laughs> oh, I mean, look, you've answered so many questions. This may have to be a this may have to be a more than one podcast. I think I say this with a lot of my guests because these conversations are huge and they need to be had, you know. And oh, I'm really emotional. Um, I've got my little I've got my little tissue here next to me this bring morning. It. I made sure that bring I had it, some. We need water for the soup. I always say, yeah, salty water. It's the best. It's the best kind of water that there is. Um. There's so much in that, that I want to speak to and ask more questions of. Something that I really, the reason that your work, I mean, work always finds you when you're ready for it, I think, you know, and I found you at a time where the conversation that I was having within myself around my own childhood, which is very much and I think, I guess the the overall feeling of what you just said is so much about expanding into the both and. Yes. Right. As opposed to this, this either, or I, I literally put a post up this morning about working into this both and, because so many of us have been taught to see the world in very black and white terms. And within the niche of women that I work with, I work specifically with women who are neurodivergent. And that is a characteristic that many of us experience because it helps us make sense of a world that is overwhelmingly chaotic at times and can feel very oppressive in just the sheer volume of input and sensory and, you know, everything that we're taking in. But I was at this point where I was really starting to look at my childhood and recognize that my parents did the best they could with what they had, where they were. And there was nourishment that I needed as a child that I had not received. As a mother, I know my children will have that same experience at some point in their life where they look back and go, God, she tried. <laughs> you know. And sometimes <laughs> it wasn't enough. It just, because that is their own journey. I am not here to meet every one of their needs. And so I had just started this dance around the edges of taking responsibility for my own nourishment. And the the preface to that was resentment. When I was like, oh, what now I have to nourish myself as well. Like I'm already nourishing my children and my partner and my community and my family and my clients and my this and like, and now I have to put this other person on my list. And I was quite angry about that. Mm. But somewhere in there, and I in in I cannot express to you in words how important your work was to drop into my lap in this moment mm-hmm. where that opportunity to nourish myself transitioned from this either or to this both. I can be a little resentful because it feels like one more thing on my to-do list and the most important thing I will ever do. 
in my entire life. And there was this expansion that happened mm. in that moment. Mm. I think I sent you a message where I said, you know, I've been having poached eggs on very buttery toast <laughs> every single day. Because when I went yeah. back to little Megan, and I have a photo of her sitting here, you know, in my office to remind me of who this work is really for. And every day I was like, what do you want? And she was like, I want poached eggs on buttery toast. Like that's hilarious. Yeah. Just dripping, dripping with butter. I wanted the butter running uh, down my fingers. And so do you, do you find that in conversation with women as they seek to connect with you? Are some of them at that place of the resentment around like, oh God, like now you want me to go cook more? You want me to do this? Do you want me to do that? Or do you, do you find that they kind of find you at the place where they're like, oh no, this is exactly what I need? Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm usually the last stop. Yeah. And I've been the last stop for like really serious things or just really, I mean, it's pretty serious to me you know, if we're not embodied, if we're not in our, in our lives, because mm. our lives are so precious. I do have a question for you though, quick, before we move yeah. on is what, will you please describe to me what neurodivergent is? Like I, I've heard many different things, but I'm, I just want to really ground into it. Yeah. So neurodivergent, as I would explain it at this point is anybody who has a diagnosis or a suspicion that maybe their brain works a little bit differently. Um, and so the women that I work with tend to be ADHD. So mostly late in life diagnosis. Um, I think probably almost all my guests on this podcast, most of my friends, we kind of look at it and, you know, diagnosed or not, that's a very personal preference, whether once someone wants to seek that, that kind of medical diagnosis, uh, I also work with a lot of people and have a child who's on the autism spectrum. Okay. And there is, you know, there's such a huge conversation at the moment. I don't know what the landscape is like in America right now, but we, there's been this huge upswing in the diagnosis of autism and ADHD, um, rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria, sensory processing. There's obviously so many layers to it. There's a genetic component there's a trauma component that's been very clearly established. But what we are seeing now is this recognition because we have lived for so long in a culture that has been so narrow in its expectations and invitation to experience that as we have moved into this world where people have been able to take ownership of who they are. They've also been able to start to understand that there's nothing wrong with me just because I struggled with this in school or I've struggled with this in the workplace. And they've started to be able to understand that their brain just perceives things differently. And the women that I work with in particular are most often women who, as their children went through the process of diagnosis or recognition, kind of looked at that checklist of some of the characteristics that you might be looking at and went, oh my gosh, this is also me. And 
what comes up for those women often is a huge amount of grief about the ways that we were diminished or shuttered or uh, dismissed as young girls in particular, which was certainly my experience, you know? Um, so that is, I mean, the clinical definition of a neurodivergency is, is the diagnosis of a disorder. I don't like that word. Um, but that, that is what I'm doing. And the reason that I think your work, I know you were asking a question and answering, and here, this is where we're going to answer the other question. <laughs> I just needed to ask you, I'm yeah. like, okay, no, cause it's, you know, it's, it's a word that's trending. Um, yeah. a bit more. And it's, it sounds like it's something that, you know, somebody can get behind or, or actually name or mm. really the mission to be okay or whatever, yeah. um, you know, not whatever, but the, all those things and probably more. And then I was thinking you, you might want to interview my, <laughs> my sister who is a comedian in Los Angeles. And she is, um, she did a one woman show in Edinburgh about her late adult diagnosis of ADHD and her whole show is about it. Oh, yes, I absolutely want to interview your Fantastic. sister. I will get her details uh, after. <laughs> I will. I will share her with you because I think that um, there's a lot. She's incredibly passionate about it. And, um, you know, it was the answer to a really big mystery that included so much shame. Mm -hmm. I mean, shame that shaped her. Yeah. Shame that shaped her, not just a, a passing shame or a shame like a weather, but it was really in the foundations of her shaping. And so, um, yeah, she's carried that with her. And as she found out about these diagnoses for herself, it was incredibly empowering. So she's yeah. definitely, she brings it up in her comedy all the time. And then she did this one woman show that was fantastic. And so it just brings that up for me, but yes, I'm going to answer the other question. <laughs> and what was it? That's a great question because I'm sitting here thinking, and this is what I said to you before we started. This is a conversation we pull thread. Exactly. Um, let's see. I think I was asking you about, oh, you were talking about being the last stop for, for yes, a lot of women. Good work. Yes. Good work. Um, and you know, how I heard that term was through many, many years ago, a phenomenal homeopath I went to, and he would say to me, I'm usually the last stop, which makes the work incredibly challenging. And it, and somehow it works. Yeah. Even homeopathy, you know, where it's like a, a sugary tablet, you know, you're just like, what? And it totally works for me too. I, I love it. Um, and it's like, oh, you know, if it was more prevalent, right, it would, and, and like anything and everything, if we caught it, da, 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 but we're not in charge and there's a higher power at work. And so I would say, yes, I am usually um, a last stop and I'm grateful for that. And I would say why I'm grateful for that is because the willingness is there and really what it takes to rewrite the stories we carry and truly heal our lives. Um, it really does take willingness. It takes the willingness to take off the old lenses, you know, no matter how enmeshed we are with our relationship to ourself 
and, you know, really trust someone too. You know, if I'm speaking something that aligns, women will write me years later. I met you in line at a da-da-da five years ago. I've kept your card where I can see it every day. And I finally have managed to write you, you know, like the bravery, the courage that it takes, because they're not writing to me for me. They're writing to themselves. They're writing something they hear in me that I'm unraveling. You know, most of my work is naming um, what I'm feeling, seeing, experiencing, you know, like the Russian dolls. It's like, you know, in the bigger culture, the bigger body we're in the, you know, um, and so, yes, I love where I'm placed and like my publishing house says, you know, the book is an evergreen book. The conversation is an evergreen. It's not seasonal. And it's also not something people yet are going to Google how to nourish my deepest life. You know, they're looking for something else. You know, they're not going to journey to becoming like, that's not what they're. So when you open the book, and you, like you did, your story is so pertinent and perfect. It's like, oh my God, there's grief alongside this olive oil cake. You know, it's like, yeah. it, it's such a beautiful journey. And I'm blown away by her too. The book is my healer, you know, because it was, you know, a few years ago now that I sat down to write it, even though it just came out. And so my life has changed enormously. I mean, big, big shifts and life, life, you know, points on the map is what I usually say. And, and she's been holding me too. So, um, yeah, willingness is so vital because if the resistance is there, I was just with a group of women and, you know, they didn't know me from Adam and, you know, we were dropping in and they didn't want to do it. They didn't want to drop in. They didn't want to do it. I could feel it. I mean, it's like, no one's dropping in. No one's wanting to breathe and get here. And I got to feel that because I hadn't felt that. The book is inviting me into all different kinds of businesses and different things and different places all over the world. And it's super awesome. And it's also like, you know, I usually am, you know, people, <laughs> you know, take a journey and they show up with their ratted duffel bag at my door. You know, <laughs> they're yeah. just like, People travel here, they come, but a lot of my work happens in my home or via Zoom. And I did a lot of retreats pre-COVID, but then I wrote the book and that hasn't, so I haven't really been out. You know, I'm, I think we all are, are all kind of slowly getting out. And so um, it was one of those things where I'm out and I'm, you know, feeling the resistance and it's just like, okay, there's that too. And and so, yeah, when you, when you asked me about the, you know, do people, how do people find, you know, when do they find you in their journeys? It's like, I mean, they, they're right on time. And so am I. And I always say that, like, there's no controlling anything. And that has truly saved my life. I mean, I really am a believer in recovery and I, and discovery I think it's just, I mean, there's just nothing, the grip, I mean, in my own life, it so has not worked. 
and I'm an incredibly functioning gripper. <laughs> I am a functioning controller, you know, like I love all the things, the light, the ding, da ding, da ding, you know, and to not make it an event is also a controlling functional thing. You know I mean? Like all yeah. the things and then when life starts to invite you to these deep places, mortality, separation, navigating family, a book coming out, like all in five seconds, you know, you start to lose your grip. I mean, I did, I started to really lose the grip I had on what I thought life was, you know, that I would never be touched by mortality until later, you know, or whatever. And those have been PhD programs I didn't apply for, you know, and, um, and then I can sit with more people. I just say, thank you. Thank you. Cause I can sit with now more people that come forward. You know, my life experience has been so deep and so wide um, in my midlife, you know, and, uh, and I'm scared most of the time. I mean, I'm, I'm really honest with, I was shaped in fear. It's been my greatest teacher. Um, and I, I can get scared within five seconds and be in freeze and I have incredible tools and I reach out to people and I, and I find my way and what's there for me is a big bucket of tears. It's like, oh, right. I just needed a cry. Okay. And so when you say I'm emotional, bring it because we are all emotional. We're all needing to grieve in all the ways, you know? I think we're very, um, that is certainly in my work with women, the, the emotion I would say they are most hesitant to dance with is anger. But underneath that anger, to me, anger is always, it's the mask that the other emotions are wearing. And that is usually grief or fear are the two that are kind of behind that. And so when a client says to me, because I, I work in embodiment and I work in somatic, and when we talk about expressing this anger, you know, I encourage my clients to throw a tantrum, lay on the floor, spit the dummy, as we say in Australia. I know these kids, they have the little, their pacifiers called a dummy. So you spit the dummy and you, oh. and you, I know. Spit the dummy. Please spit write the book. Spit the dummy. Are you joking? Yeah. Spit the dummy. Happy the title of your book, please. Spit the dummy. Yeah. Well, I have I have one book already. Maybe I'll write another one called Spit the. That's actually a really great idea. It fits with the one I'm working on. I've never heard of it. <laughs> spit the dummy. You're welcome. Australia, as you would know, you spent some time here. It is a land of uh interesting sayings and all sorts of things. But I encourage them, you know, set a timer. If you feel like you need to have some kind of a limit on this expression, but I want you to get mad and I want you to pound the floor with your fists. And anyone who has found the capacity to engage with that invitation has said to me that the anger actually dissipates very quickly and they find themselves sobbing. And that that moment when you talk about being the last stop 
when women reach out to me, they're like, I don't really like when I, I ask them, you know, so what made you reach out to me? They're like, I don't know. Yeah. There's just there's just something about whatever you shared or this or that that makes me makes me feel like this is the next thing I need to explore. But when women come to you, as I was in a state of probably when I found your book, which, by the way, the book itself is a the offering of it, the beauty of it, the colors, the photos, the weight of the pages, the font, the smell of it, everything about it yeah. is an experience. It is. It is. <laughs> it is. It's so beautiful. It's funny because I want to read it in my kitchen. I'm also like, I don't want to get food all over it. But you know, I'm gonna have to get a second. I'm gonna have to have a kitchen copy that can get it. Yes. that can get messed and up. And most you know? are sleeping with it. You know, I've been <sighs> loving that. It's so surprising. So many women have it in their beds. Yeah, they read it before they go to bed. They'll open it up and they'll just read a little something, and then that's the last thing they they you know receive before they go into dream state so I just I you know I love that so much I love yeah. knowing that and it is a book too that you can you can kind of for me anyway I can randomly flip it open yes and be like oh there's today's medicine yes, you know, like, yes. this is what I need to and it can be the same thing I flipped it open to before and it will hit me completely differently yes I said it, that to a, a teacher at a school I said you know I was telling the group, you know, you can just flip it open. She's like, like the Bible. I'm like, sure. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> because people are finding you when there is this desperation. And that desperation, to me, desperation is just when we have a longing that we have not yet been able to put words to or that we haven't had the the space or the tools or the support to actually acknowledge well we haven't acknowledged it I mean yeah. I really want to you know I'm a language lover and it's so easy for us to you know think it's coming you know without us showing up for ourselves yeah it really takes the yes to ourselves it does it really it just, does. It does. Like that you have to show up for yourself. And when you're ready to do that and whenever that is and whatever, you know, all the stories, you know, how could I do that? My husband's on da da da. How could I do that? Da, da. Okay, well, you know, keep doing how can I do that until you do it. You know, until you find your way there. And I was definitely somebody that loved to save people. I am a recovering savior. <laughs> and um and, you know, now in my life, not only do I not have the bandwidth for that, that was really my own illness yeah. of tr trying to do that was not helping anyone, including myself. Not only was it putting me on a pedestal, but what it also did was it didn't give anyone their own agency, their own integrity for their own journey. And mm. Now, when people say no, you know, whether it's enrolling or a retreat or a thing, it's like, okay. Yeah. And I got to tell you, that was the hardest thing. You know, oh my God, how could you say you're totally meant for the, this is for you. Like you're going to, you know, it's just like, oh my God, who am I? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like this is exhausting and I have no serenity. Mm -hmm. um, and so now it's just different. It's like, Okay. You know, even people will come on the lives and they'll be like, I don't have that. I don't have people I can, you know, talk to. I don't have that, you know, and it's like, okay. Yeah. 
instead of like, oh, yes, you do sign up for the thing. And yes. I'm having a gather. And then there's this community that I couldn't give more things. There's so many offerings. There's ways to meet with me. There's, a, I mean, okay. Like, I don't know what to, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's right there, the white elephant in the room. And then they're like, I don't see anything. I'm like, okay. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and it's, that's a muscle. That's that been a muscle. a muscle. Yeah. And that is a muscle that you begin to flex. I think when you really become as I, the words I use when I work with women is this, a self-sourcing woman. And we have self-sourcing puddings here, the baked puddings, with the lemon or the chocolate, you know, and a couple of my clients been like self-sourcing and I'm like, no, self-sourcing. With some self sauce on it, whatever. With some sauce on it, you know, fine, go for it. But what I mean by that is when we begin to actually put intention and time and commitment into our relationship with self, which most of us, I mean, I work, most of my clients are 40 and above all the way up to their seventies. They've never done that. They've never thought of that relationship as this thing that they're going to pay attention to. It's just kind of always ticked along in the background because you can't escape yourself. They're kind of trapped in it sometimes. And when we begin to look at, you know, and with some women, what I have to do is, oh, you want to attract your ideal partner? Tell me all the things this person would give you. And they write this list and I go, okay, well, where are you giving this to yourself? Because the reality of it is, is when we are seeking something outside of ourselves to fill in those gaps, I mean, that's a bit of a fool's errand. And when we know that we can meet those needs for nourishment and intimacy and pleasure and joy and sadness and grief and, you know, all that messiness, when we know that we can meet those needs, anybody who we allow into our life is there because they add value to it. And they, this is where for women, the analogy I use is like, if you've got people in your life who are showing up at your table with an empty plate, you need to talk about that. You need to think about that. Now, in any relationship, obviously there are times, whether it's friendship, romantic with our children, there's give and there's take. There is a t- there's periods of giving, 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 and then replenishing because that's the ebb and flow of so many relationships, you know? And so- This isn't about becoming this like standalone person who doesn't need anyone. It's about becoming somebody who is aware of the fucking privilege it is when we allow somebody a seat at our table. You know? And that's where that desperation that women show up with, that that rawness I think is so often required for this work because it is confronting and it is terrifying and it brings up all this shit not just from this lifetime but from your ancestral lineage from that the pain all the things we've carried with us all the things we have inherited all of those things that have come to this life from far beyond before our existence And you have to look at it. And I think the second thing that's quite terrifying for women and something I really also love about you, I mean, so much that I love about your work, but 
is this notion of healing, you know, living is healing. And this, not this idea of, oh, I'm going to be healed. <laughs> At the end of this, all the pieces are going to fall into place and I will be fixed and I will be whole. And that is what is going to allow me to love myself. Whereas your work and my work and so many brilliant, I mean, you mentioned them in the book, but we've got Glennon Doyle, we've got Cheryl Strayed, we've got Elizabeth Gilbert. We have, there's so many women who have shone the light on the importance of the only way you will learn to love yourself is if you can find yourself in that mess and that brokenness and love yourself there, you know? And so how do you personally, I guess, in your own, in your work and your journey with self, do you still, do you have moments of frustration? What does it feel like to you when we, you know, we spoke briefly before I hit record about when you're like, aha, there's the, the inner bit of this. And once I address this horrible memory or this thing or that thing, then everything's going to be fine. And then this constant engagement with layer after layer after layer, because it can be exhausting. So what do you personally do in those moments of like, oh, really? More? Again? Now? Because we don't choose the timing, right? Not always. How do you ground yourself down into this moment? And, you know, I suspect I know some of the things you may say, but I want to hear you say it because the way you describe how you bring yourself back to this moment to be so radically present with whatever it is that's unfolding. How do you do that? I love that question and love all the things you share. Um, here's a puppy coming in the house. <clears throat> Let's be present. Um, I would say, like I said earlier, and I'll, I'll always say it, language is essential to everything for me. Like the language of things, like how I, um, how I, hi, no worries. How I um, name what's happening in the moment. So when you share, like it's exhausting, that is a story you carry you carry a story that healing as a living or healing the layers is exhausting I don't carry that story so when I hear you say it I'm like yeah but then I think well why would she think that maybe because it has an event like experience on it mm -hmm. I'm the anti-event <laughs> Like, as you know, because I write about it all about in the book. So I'm thinking like, I'm curious about why it's heavy. Like, mm. yes, living and, and maybe, oh, if living as a healing is exhausting, maybe living is exhausting. Oh, I'm curious about that story inside of you. Is that a story that's pertinent? Do you live like that? Does mm. it feel like that? Like, and then we separate from ourselves and we separate from our living, even the idea of the self. Like, I don't even have that thought in my head. It's just, so yeah, when I would, when you said the mess and the thing, like, yes, I mean, I have been through my, the field of my family and I have been through 
I mean, I could give you the timeline of things since, and I'm, I'm a pretty private person. I don't hide anything. It's just, I'm not somebody that like shows up on Instagram with a cold. Like I'm yeah. just not, you know what I mean? Like I'm, my, my work is intentional there. And I don't really have, you know, I'm not somebody who's like, oh my God, let me show you me with a fever, <laughs> you know? And so even with like really big journeys I've been on, it's usually later that I share about it because I really don't know what the hell's happening. Yeah. And so I'm not, and, and it's okay that I don't know. I could say, I don't know what's happening, but I don't trust the culture. So why would I put anything out there? Right. Like without language. So language is like everything to me. It's like, it's my buoy (laughs) within myself too, when I'm going through hard things. So I would say from, I went through a journey with my breast. I had to let my breasts go. I had a mastectomy. Um, It was an unknown experience. There was no research. There still is no research on it. It is so random. One out of 10 in the world a year. Um, That happened. Then my dad passed then COVID hit. Um, then I, my book went in and my 20 year marriage disintegrated. And then my husband, um, got cancer. I mean, it's literally been, so I'm, you're not speaking to like one thing every now and then. Yeah. (laughs) And this is the thing I really thought like, isn't it like one thing every decade? Like, you know, (laughs) not for you. Um, so here's the thing that, that changed everything is the language around what these things are, why they come. So I go on a journey and this is so beautifully offered by my, you know, elder, one of the elders, Dina Metzger, who's been doing just beyond 80 years of work inside so many things. Mainly I sit on a council with her and a group of elders around the extinction of the earth. (laughs) It's a real joy. No. Um, But here's the thing. The language around that is the language around cancer is the language around the unknown is the language around the relationships of our lives that are completely impossible. Mm. Okay. So I live there. I live there. Right. So cancer comes and Of course it was, oh my God, what? Like I could never tell anybody this, like what I've been preventing cancer probably since I was born. I mean, like, you know, like the juicing and the da-da-da and the da you know, whatever, right? The butter even, like whatever, you know? And it's like the control and the thing and what I thought and all of it had to go, all of it. All of it had to be burnt in a fucking fire with my left breast, which is the mother breast. It all had to go. And I rarely talk about it because even the idea of cancer, everyone thinks they have a swatch of fabric on it. We don't even know how to talk about it. We don't even know. People will say to me like, I know my sister was totally, you know, survived and then got it back and died. I'm like, that's not something you tell somebody that's gone through it. Never. It's just, we don't even know how to talk about it. We don't know how to hold it. It was the best thing ever that happened is when women would say to me, I don't know how to talk about this with you. What do I say? I say, you're me. It's like, you got it too. What? I don't know either. I didn't have it five seconds ago. I've had two breasts my whole life. You know, like all the things of like just shining the light. So the language around these messy things and I bring them up into the present like we are here because it's important to name it. It's important to name that it's happening to all of us that are that are 
the earth has cancer. She's in hospice and she continues to give and run on fumes. Mm -hmm. And we don't know how to have a relationship with her. Me too. I drive a car. I live in a house. I'm, you know, I'm on a zoom. The whales are probably suffering just from this experience, but then other people are getting, it's impossible. Yeah. So yeah. once I start at impossibility, because I'd rather be in impossibility than, oh, it'll be fine. Let me recycle the Yoplait carton. <laughs> like, nope, we're past that. And we're in impossibility. How do we move forward now? And why has this come for me? Why me? Why has it come for me? What does it need from me? What do I need to be now? What do I need to be transformed into so that I can serve in the highest way? That's it. Like that was it. That's what I took with me. Scared to death of all the scans, two surgery, awful, scary. I come from a Western background. My father was a surgeon. He was a God, nothing ever happened to him. I didn't mm -hmm. see cancer or illness ever. He saved lives. He was a savior. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up in that Western mind, that privileged atmosphere. And like, if you do this and this, you know, you're in control of your life yeah. and that won't, happen. you know what I mean? Like I grew up in that and I, in this lifetime, un I'm unraveling that like a messy dervish. I mean, like unraveling it, unraveling it. And my two kids get to see that modeled and then do what they want with yeah. it. No control over them. So I just kind of went with what came through um, for us here and you know, real, like life getting lifey, you know, it starts honestly with me finding my two feet on the ground and that I'm so fucking grateful to be here. I'm a yes for this life. And as more things come, I just, and I know they're coming and today is now, and I'm so grateful. And I'm so grateful. I get to say it out loud because it reminds me when I'm speaking it, when I'm teaching it, it reminds me. It's not like I wake up and I'm like, yes, you know, like, no, like the camera turns on or we're together. And it's like, yes, that's me. That's what I feel. Yay. Hire me, <laughs> you know, yeah. plus higher power. Who's totally got my back. And I'm learning what that means. That's so messy praying, giving it over. The whole thing is a mess. So yeah, this idea, again, we said it earlier, this, you know, gripping and controlling and letting go, like truly letting go. And if, if I don't let go, like, I'm like, I'm just going to decide to let go. Like I used to just be like, oh, let me move the furniture and I'll grieve. And I'll just like, I'll just grieve whatever I want, you know, and then, you know, these really big invitations come and they move you into your life. They move you. They're here to move us deeper in wider. And if we want to go, okay. And if we don't, okay. They're opportunities. They really are. They're really huge, huge opportunities. And navigating all the things. I'm messy every day. Every day I am messy. And I have beauty around me. And I have the cauliflower waiting for me to roast it. And yesterday I put rice in the rice cooker and I came home and it was ready for the beans and the rice and the bowl I made. And like, this is, my life is an ongoing gift. And it's also devastating. It's totally unknown. And what do I do? I turn on the fire. I say yes to you. I say yes to us. I say yes to anyone who's listening. 
you know, it's like, there's no more, um, there's no more room or bandwidth for, um, you know, why me? If it's why me, it comes with a, oh my God, this is hilarious. Are you joking? Okay. Yeah. I, I guess we're doing this now. Okay. I'm going in, you know, like it's that. Ugh. I'm just going to sit here and stare at you for anyone who can't see the visual of this right now. I'm just, I mean, I'm just being rocked to my core in the best way possible. And I am conscious of time. I have kids that I need to get off to school and breakfast to cook and all of those things. But as I said, we may have to continue this conversation another time because there's so forever. many things forever. I mean, he, this is it. Um, Jules, you are a, you have been for me a permission giver. You have invited me to reconsider my relationship with the stories that I carry, with the language that I use, with the words that I choose, which for me is so profound because that is the work I offer to other wisdom. And I mm -hmm. need someone to offer it to me sometimes. And I need that reminder sometimes of the, the constant ongoing process of doing that. And as someone who works with creatives and I work with activists, the way that your work and this conversation has this really important reminder of the micro to the macro and that we cannot move forth and heal our family and our community and the world if we have not centered ourselves in that act of nourishment, which is uncomfortable for many women to put themselves first, but we have to in many ways. And the, the joy that is found on the other side of the fear of that is so juicy, you know, the juice is worth the squeeze, baby. And that's where I love that expression so much. And the juice is worth the squeeze. The squeezing can feel uncomfortable, but the juice, it's, it's the sweetest thing you'll ever taste. Mm. And to reconsider our relationship, even for me, words like beauty, because beauty for so long has been within the context of this patriarchal structure of this incredibly narrow representation and definition of, and we are seeing that expand even looking at the Met Gala photos from a few days ago that popped up on my socials, I was like, look at this diversity. We didn't see this 20, 30 years ago, you know? Um, mm. But thinking about how I relate to beauty mm. and nourishment. And certainly for me, understanding that for me, nourishment and discipline actually exist in the same space, which for so long discipline meant deprivation and nourishment meant indulgence and the expansion for me 
of finding a way to hold that both and in the complexity of who I am and that there is a time for softness and there is a time for strength and that in fact, softness and strength are not two opposing forces. They're actually the same fucking thing. And that is what your work has brought me to you know, along with many years of of therapy and coaching and conversation, but, you know, it found me at that moment that I so desperately needed, just as I know this conversation Mm. will find other women Mm. at the moment that they need it or that they've called it in or that they're yearning for it. They're longing for it and opening ourselves to the pleasure that we can experience when we do say yes to our life is just such an incredibly beautiful gift that you have offered not only to me today and to the listeners of this podcast, but to the world. And I just want to thank you with immense gratitude. So great. Thank you. For being here. Yes. For lighting the fire. For being open to this conversation to unfold. You are just an incredible human being. Ditto. Thank you. Um, How can people find you? How can they work with you? I know you've described it. I certainly can link to everything in the show notes. But if there are any particular offerings that you everyone buy the book, that is like first and foremost, please just go order it straight away. That is everything, you know, because the book is a journey to becoming you. There's heart work in there. There's you can go at your own pace. You can, I mean, there's just so much it offers. Um, so yes, the book, buy the book, um, buy it for everyone you know. You know, and what does it do? What does buying the book do? It just, it offers such good medicine, you know, um, and recipes and a really good read. Um, so yeah, I love the book. I, that's great. I do sessions now more one-on-one. I take women on journeys as well via Zoom, but the one-on-one, um, if this calls to anybody, you know, it's like they can be really significant. I mean, they are. And so they're on my website. My site is my name, julesblainedavis.com. You can follow along on Instagram. I'm holding a few Zooms that are free. One is this Friday. I would love to have you May 5th. It's 11 a.m. That's um, through Patreon. You can become a patron of this work. Um, It's really a place where we gather. It's kind of like a big kitchen. Um, And so I'm doing circles through that monthly, which uh, is, is, isn't even written down there, but it's coming. I'm coming. I'm making my way over to Patreon, even though it's mine. I've had it for four years. There's tremendous amounts of videos, sync talks, recipes, movement videos for four years on there archived. So that's a great community of this work. And, um, and I'm going to just make my way over to Australia, hopefully possibly 2024 is what I'm thinking. So Yeah, more on that as well. But, you know, following along and just staying connected or even if this felt aligned and something came up, you know, you can always reach out to me like you did. 
I'm, I love connecting and finding, you know, where the hunger is. And, um, but the gatherings are people all over the world on zoom. It's been really beautiful and they're intimate, you know, people aren't in a line to, you know, sate their longing. They it's when they get here, they're like, Oh my God, you're naming every single thing. Are you in my head? I'm like, no, I'm in my (laughs) welcome. Um, so thank you so much for having me. This was beautiful. I'm super stoked. love it. I love it. I love it. Um, when I named the podcast that a couple of people were like, what's stoke? Isn't that a surfy word? And I said, well, to stoke, you know, as a verb is to add fuel to ignite and stoke as a noun is this feeling, this indescribable feeling and stoke for me in the context of this conversation, stoke is never ending. I don't find my stoke and I'm like, yeah, I'm stoked. Like it's, it always carries with it. We're stoking, <laughs> stoking, and moving into continuing to yearn for more, 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 Love which it. has been a huge part of my own healing in coming to terms with my constant desire and my constant longing and getting comfortable with that as a woman who has been told I should just be satisfied with wife and mother. And, you know, this very narrow definition mm-hmm. of a life has just been shattering in the best way possible so thank you for the beautiful fire thank you for your words for your smile for everything about you thank you for reminding me of the deliciousness of poached eggs on buttery toast which is what i'm going to go and have for my breakfast after this uh thank you to all the listeners of sisters in stoke who have turned in to this podcast please be sure to check out jules work and connect with her um if you feel called to do so it's certainly especially if you feel a little scared to do so definitely do it then um that can be one of those times that it just shines a light on the invitation that is waiting for us when we say yes to life which is what we're doing right now so thank you so much and i will talk to all of you very soon Thank you so much for tuning in to Sisters in Stoke. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends. If you or somebody you know would be an excellent Stokes person, feel free to get in touch. All of the information you need is in the show notes. Until next time, I'm your host, Megan Burks, reminding you to find your Stoke.